some, some questions. Hope these are um, things that you can make use of. Um, is it possible to start waking up and have a mind that's still clinging and fixating at times? What are the characteristics of waking up or awakening? Well, if you start the process, there's bound to be clinging and fixation. That's kind of what you have to wake up to. Because <laughs> the unawakened person, really, depending how deeply unaware they are, doesn't really acknowledge there's any clinging. And it just it's all fixation and so so embed, embedded um, so when we um, you know, I guess the thing is one begins to recognize there's some suffering, which is not just about you know other people <laughs> uh, and uh then we have to begin to recognize it's it's not just ourselves either so the you know kind of unawakened person can either be someone who tends to see problems out there with the world and the other kind of unawakened person thinks of problems in here with me something wrong with me you get neurotic or the narcissistic and generally neurotics have got a better possibility of waking up than narcissists <laughs> <laughs> to actually get on with it. <laughs> so, uh, so and then that sort of sense of was actually interested in, you know, in, in understanding, you know, where the problem is. That's the first sign, and uh, and you're able at the beginning to look around for some means to work upon. Upon the mind, the heart, as the inquiry's interest, that's all, um, all part of it. Someone is inclining that way. And probably the first uh, breakthrough, if you like, is just to be able to recognize that one could be aware of one's mind. There's, there's some de enough detachment to recognize all that strange, you know, unsatisfactory moving stuff there can be a witness of that you know, and be aware of it in other words there's a distinction between if you like the the mind and the contents of the mind or you could say another way between awareness and uh, phenomena mm. yeah. oh, oh right so which is me you know the awareness or the phenomena and then so you're starting to begin to explore that and sense in which we have some little bit more detachment non-identification with um, phenomenal world that arises that is our thoughts and memories and emotions and all that less identification with them to the point in which first of all we you know we might begin to, you know there's all this Maybe it's it's stuff happening, and there's a tendency to naturally to this is all me, 
my mind. And then an increasing process of relating to that. The second thing is we begin to sense, oh, it's not mine, it's happening to me. And then we begin to maybe get a sense of, ah, this arises because of causes and conditions. This arises because of, you know, anxiety and passion. This arises because of, you know, so you get some sense of causality, which is another important breakthrough. Recognize it's not just random, it's not fixed. Some days are better than others. That conditions arise because of other conditions occur. So who's the me in that? It's really just conditions building up, like the weather changing, you know. Goes from hot to thunder to rain to dry to, you know, there's all conditions. And um, we still might feel this is happening to me, the only way we can can really conceive it, and yeah. see the conditionality of experience. Mm. And interesting enough, just this alone, um, really to, to get that, this is what these um, two chief disciples of the Buddha, when they were still unawakened, and they met one of the Buddha's early trainees who'd realized complete awakening. He was called an arahant, that's an awakened being. And he was kind of walking around, alms food, and he had this extremely radiant composure and calm. And they thought, oh, it's this guy. So I'd go and ask him, you know, what are you, what are you at? You know, what's your teacher? What do they teach? And he says, oh, I mean, I'm really new at this. I can't really explain it that well. Um, but what he teaches basically is that he understands the root cause of all conditioned phenomena. The root cause of all conditioned phenomena. He understands, he's seen that. And he also sees or realizes where they all cease. So he recognizes, you have to experience conditioned phenomena, also the root cause. Where are they coming from? Why does all this stuff bubbling up? And he's seen also how they cease, how that root cause is removed. So they listen to that. Right. You know, so we want to go and find this person who said that. So they they realized some degree of awakening just by contemplating that uh, statement. And then they went to seek the Buddha. And they gave them teachings so they to um, complete their practice. Now we might not see the root cause, but we begin to recognise, uh, you know, things depend upon what you pay attention to, uh, what your intention is, how you're being affected, whether you're excited or disappointed, what do you get fixated on. Uh, attaching to things, belonging to things, imagining we own things, imagining we can have things, you know, that sense, all that. And so you're seeing this is what causes this kind of accumulation of, of phenomena. Mm. And we have a very biased perspective. Mm. Thoughts arise and it's mine, me. 
And the content of the thought is often about my health, my family, my job, my life, my mind. You know, so there's a lot of me in it, uh, which we don't really acknowledge the, the power of that. What is making it me? Mm. And this is the root cause, the me maker. And uh, so even even just looking at logically, you know, which of course isn't adequate, but if it was me, what is it that witnesses it? Is that me or not? <laughs> and if it was under my, if it was me, why does it always involve other things? So if it's mine, yeah, right? that quality of me always has to have something to hold on to. My body, my mind, my thing. So it's not an independent me, is it? And yet it's claiming to be an independent me, but it's actually associated with connecting to something outside itself. Right? That's mine. So mine is both you know, separate from the me, but also being bonded to it. And that bonding to phenomena is uh, inadequate because they will change. The thought will go, you know, the sensations will pass, the mind states will change, people come and go, you know, long term body changes. You can't say, may my body be this big or that big, I'd like another ear. You can't redesign it, it's just what you've got. <laughs> So you haven't really got much bonding to it if you can't do anything about it. And that sense that you're actually of security or you really focus on that and there's some stress in that. So begin to acknowledge this and then stress involved in holding on. We begin to recognize this, see this, then our interest is in, hmm. No, you know, things are things, that's what happens, but I don't want the stress. You know, thoughts are okay, people are okay, that's all what it is, that's where we're at, but I don't want the stress, the suffering and the grasping. Is it possible to really work around that? So if, you, if you're dealing with that, you're really uh, doing very well. And if you're getting the resources the mindfulness and the focus and the purpose and the clarity to be able to handle that uh, experience of attachment, then you're um, doing very well. Mm. Mm. Because behind it, if you like, uh, is the sense of almost perhaps a fear if I don't have anything, uh, <laughs> have it for a while. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of vacuity. And so in order to um, um, release the grasping, you know, generally you've got to build up enough resources in that aware bit that's witnessing. It's not just the blank... I was looking at things, it's got to have a real 
strength and fullness, it feels very comfortable, then this is really, this is pretty nice. And so therefore I feel fairly steady in that and I can just, I can let go of that. This is good enough, you know. <laughs> so this is presence. And that quality of presence, then the sign of self doesn't arise. So it's absent, absent of suffering, absent of belongings, absence of craving, absent of aversion, it's also absent of self. That makes it, its presence becomes then something that's not shaken. And this is, you know, what the Buddha is indicating. This is not some kind of exercise in complete annihilation uh, of, of happiness or, you know, or inability to um, relate to life. It's about finding a very secure, steady and comfortable uh, center. So because the wish for security is a valid wish, but you're not going to find it in the stuff you hold on to. The wish for security is a very fundamental wish. This is how you fulfill it. You'll find security in presence. You won't find anything else. Happiness, the wish for happiness is a very valid, natural inclination. Yeah, there's happiness in this, happiness in that. Yeah, that's true. But you want the really good one, it's going to be in presence. <laughs> That's the most unshakable. Because it's uh, not associated with things that come and go. Uh, if you go that far, you're already beyond me. <laughs> but we're getting there. <laughs> so you see, it's that emptying this self thing, uh, which is uh, really... Um, an instinct uh, of holding on that needs to be released. So the question asks, sometimes there are moments when it feels that everything is gone or everything stops. doesn't seem to be any thoughts, nor is there any awareness of an outside world. I think these moments are short, but I don't really know because the awareness of time seems to be gone as well. Could you say something about what this could be? Um, well, you know, if we said something about it, that would be a thought, wouldn't it? Um, so, so I suppose it's more important is to say, how does it feel? You know, how does that feel? And... Uh, is it something that attracts you? Mm. Something that attracts you, something that interests you, and is it uh, is it peaceful? And if you're looking for your own welfare, if you're looking for your own peace of mind, you're looking for your own welfare, then just check it out. Um, but also uh, the quality of inquiry is to begin to kind of sense how does this particular experience happen? Or how does other experience stop happening? And then you develop wisdom. You understand the, begin to get a sense of 
something you've how do you how does that what what are the causes that are present or what are the causes that are absent when uh, you experience this cessation so some questions one person mentioning the heart needing to be allowed to know itself at times when there seems to be no possibility for this this is most often when with my family and my partner there's such a strong impact all I know of it how deeply uncomfortable it feels sense of desperately looking for ground the seizing up a frantic trying to find a sense of okayness doesn't seem to resolve heart is not allowed to know itself in this it keeps me from being able to enjoy and relax with loved ones something is feared becomes paralyzed heart is slowly but surely being allowed to know what it feels I trust that will continue can you give some guidance well you know the heart doesn't know itself because it's tied up uh, you know I think the image of uh, being pulled off balance by certain ties or tethers or chains are pulling pulling the heart so it, it doesn't release except when those connections those attachments are released so when there's a state of attachment uh, when attachments take over there's an innate fearfulness underneath it all and we assume that the fearfulness is because we fear losing that which we are connected to it may be here it's your partner or your family you feel that you've got to kind of be connected to them even though maybe they're not doing quite what you want them to do or I don't know it's your your topic mm. so a sense of fear that comes with the sense of attachment but actually the fear really is not of losing attachment fear comes with attachment if you lose attachment you lose the fear mm when there's attachment there's an underlying fear because attachment's a security issue you know I'm holding on to this to make sure I'm okay so behind that is a fear of not being okay so I'm holding this to make me feel okay but actually so I don't want to let go of it but when you contemplate the experience you recognize that this underlying fear is associated with holding on <laughs> And if one has the resources to let go, the fear disappears. The real um, point, if you like, is what is needed to let go. And essentially there's enough, you could say enough fullness of heart to make that possible. There's both the fullness of heart what's called the maha chitta the great heart it's full enough and the experience of attachment is uncomfortable enough that one 
you know, just like the little bird which is in the nest and uh, can't fly. You've got to get from being unable to fly to being able to fly. That first of all means not flying very well at all. <laughs> but just kind of little flutters <laughs> till you get your wings. So you let go a little bit, a bit of flutter. Uh, oh, you can do a little bit. Okay, let go a little bit more. Flutter, flutter, flutter. So you've got to keep feeding the little bird so it gets its wings get bigger and then it gets more confident. And it can, oh yeah, you can do this kind of stuff, you know. You still, you see them. Um, you see these chicks. Um, I was looking at a little video of albatrosses, albatross, which is an amazing bird. It can hang on its wings for a year on end. It doesn't touch land. It's just totally comfortable flying out the, across the stormy ocean. doesn't need to land anything. You see the chick, it's this kind of fluffy thing. Kind of all strutting around. Flap, flap, flap. And you can't go anywhere, you know. And then, you know, and so... <laughs> <laughs> the way that it happens is that the parents kind of sort of shove it out really well they're, they're tough love you know say okay you're getting there we're off you see him rocking around falling over <laughs> trying to get their wings and eventually they kind of make a mistake and then they gradually get it together <laughs> Yeah, so you know you need to feed the little chick. There's a certain point she's come on, there you go. <laughs> let go a little bit, you feel a little bit happy. Let go a lot, you feel very happy. <laughs> but we have to meet the uh, uncomfortable and the fearful and the. Don't try and stop that feeling, but just okay. Let's just everybody feels uncomfortable, you know. And it happens like this, and just take your time and begin to steady the heart, really know it. And this, even the knowing the uncomfortable heart, even knowing the heart and its discomfort and relating to it is uh, the right focus. Mm. So couple of questions here on the same line. One is um, persons experiencing feelings in their body, parts of the body being frozen in fear and anxiety, which feels oppressive. Spacious awareness and reclining posture helps. Any other suggestions to transform this? And the question is, is patience? Yes, that's a big part of it. Letting go of tensions, feeling my body, feelings of joy, contentedness, gratitude. And when I feel the content, then I have the impulse to move on rather than to stay with it. What can I do if the energy flow gets overwhelming, especially when I let go of tension in the lower body? such as sickness and contractedness. So whenever I let go of that, the energy is sort of overwhelming. Mm. Mm. So one of the persons experience the contraction of fear and anxiety. 
and spacious awareness, but once again must encourage a sense of actually almost dialogue with that discomfort. Spaciousness is fine, but it's make sure it's not just um, detached. You know, like it's got to be sympathetic. You know, awareness is both spacious, it's also quality called Tama Vijaya. It explores, it inquires with a place of sympathy. How is this? How does this feel? How is this? Um, not that we're getting answers, we're forming a kind of a bond, connection to, to the difficult experience. And by and large, once um, we fear these things are so unpleasant, our instinct is always to try to stop them happening or to get over them or to make them go away or to, you know, and these are totally understandable, but immediately it sets up a negative energy in the system. I don't want that. How do I get over it? How can I get past this? So it's, a relationship then is one already that's kind of hostile. And more and more we're encouraging to be able to live with one's fear and anxiety, not to get over it. Now, if it's in the body, so with the body... We're using words like fear and anxiety, so that the Dhamma Vijaya, the inquiry, okay, we acknowledge something, that's the first step, acknowledging it, okay, witnessing it, acknowledging it, opening around it, okay, that's that, then resonating with it. How is, how is this experience? What's it do? Getting friendly with it, getting familiar with it. Hmm. And when you come into your body, you start relaxing words that have this negative quality to fear and anxiety. Just don't use those words. What actually do you feel? Tightness, shivering, clamped, cold, hard? You know, really get into embodied terms. Then you're not carrying the negative implications of these words. Right. So, what is fear in a body sense? Where is it? Is it in your belly, throat, chest, face, skin, knees, feet? Where is it? What is it? If somebody didn't understand what the word fear meant, how would you describe it? How would you describe it? Shaky? Unsettled? Good, okay, anything else? Comfortable? No, definitely not. <laughs> unpleasant? Yep, that's it. So if something's unpleasant, you'd like it to go away, wouldn't you? Yep. <laughs> okay, well, let's realize that's part of the problem. <laughs> because that, one of the things to go away, is not a supportive uh, relationship that allows release. Now, fear is a natural instinct. We're supposed to be fearful, otherwise we'd be dead by now. The problem is when it's just a, 
stuck and unnecessary, or it's just stuck as part of, it's like as a stuck program. It's not because a tiger jumped in through the door, it just lives with me continually as part of my structure. Mm. And so, then you need to say, okay, so there's that quality of shivering, or I don't know what it is, but it's there. For, why? What does it need? What does it want to do? What is it trying to do? Hmm? How does it move when you question it? Does it respond when you say, how is this? It's through this inquiry. When you're aware of it with no agenda to get rid of it, when you just rest your awareness on those energies and sensations. Just rest your awareness on them. Like, What's this? How does it feel? And if that awareness has a quality of goodwill to it, And if it's in part of your body, what about the parts it's not in? If it's in your abdomen, what's, what about your head? What about the shoulders? What about if you link them up? So you linked the difficult area with the area that's not difficult. So, you know, so they're connected. Again, another problem is that phenomena get locked and they get encapsulated like frozen in like a separated from the rest so you have a fear lump separated from the rest of the body and the rest of the body is kind of resisting it and the mind resisting it welcome it in saying hello would you like to have some more room you know <laughs> connect it to the throat or the chest or the head so this way you're you're in a kind way you're creating connections and these connections serve as channels for that energy to discharge right? everything seeks resolution now you can't resolve something by resisting it you resolve it by creating an openness that will allow that to move to where it needs to be and then that signal of fear, you know, oh, no, it's gone. And the body's not receiving that. Mm. So inquiry is very important. Inquiry is a steady, slow process. So acknowledge, open around experience, recognize your attitudes towards that. You don't want it. The problem, you don't like it, you're stuck with it, you feel helpless, you're always like this, you shouldn't be this way. Just start to release those attitudes and replace those attitudes with something much more how is this? Kind of sympathetic and interested. And then where is this? And where's the edges of it? And where's the places that aren't affected by this? Connect it, link it up. And what we like, you know, it's almost like getting that 
giving it more room to move. What would be, where does it want to go? What would be useful now? Because it's a stuck energy. All emotions are energies. They're embodied. They're embodied. You can feel fear will generally be gripping, an energy of gripping somewhere. So they're embodied. And that means they're embodied energies. Energy's nature is to move. It's not moving, something's holding it stuck. Holding it stuck can be one's resistance to that. Uh, the identification, the not accessing it, they're just thinking about it. So we're really not embracing it fully with awareness. It's very good if you've got some spaciousness around it, that's great. Recognizing maybe change of posture maybe facilitates things. Uh, I'd emphasize a little more inquiry and goodwill. You're feeling contented through release. It's true that when you when release occurs of difficult phenomena, sickness or contraction, the lower body energy will move, and it can be uh, disorienting because uh, if we've had a, a stuck pattern as pretty standard experience, we've got used to it. So when it moves, you know, it's disorienting and energy starts moving around. Um, and then the, the sense is just to step back a little bit, go wider. So widen your awareness to include, so your whole body or the space around you, particularly the feet, of course, and the back. So you've got a frame. Uh, and you can just connect your awareness to the frame of the body or even the space around it and the breathing and let the energy move around it will find its own level in due course the important thing is to not interfere with it but also um, to maintain non-interfering spacious presence and stay with it Mm. What would you say to a teenager who appears to have ill will in the family? What would you say to them about metta and compassion? Would you talk to them when this ill will is affecting the family dynamics in a negative way? If so, how? I don't think I would talk to a upset teenager about metta and compassion. <laughs> As teenagers, generally, I mean, it depends, individuals are individuals, but by and large, a teenager trying to find their own independence. I don't think they need, they don't want to lecture. Um, particularly one that's suggesting they'd be other than they are. <laughs> so, but probably what would be, I think if I was in that situation, I'd approach them, well, what makes you happy? What do you enjoy doing? Where's your gladness? Where's your happiness come? Where, what, how are you doing? What makes you feel good? Because uh, if there's ill will, there's something bothering them. And so supporting their place where they feel goodwill. You know, 
so establish that that attitude so you're much more supportive uh, and then you might sort of um, begin to touch into um, how they feel about everybody else because uh, teenagers tend to be pretty self-obsessed by and large <laughs> so uh, what do they feel about the other people yeah. Yeah. so I just open the topic and see see where it goes from there. So a person's saying, no matter how good meditation is in the previous evening, one time there will come sleep. And with sleep, long interruption of awareness. Next morning, everything has to be rebuilt again. Hmm. Heaviness and sleepiness can take a long time to be overcome. Because the long period of tamas, a kind of heavy, sleepy or torpid state. So I try to make the wish before I go to sleep to wake up fresh and aware. What would be your advice? Oh, well... So if your meditation is good in the evening, well, that's glad to hear it. Um, that's nice. <laughs> but uh, conditions are impermanent. They do change. So I wonder what good meditation is. One feels bright, one feels composed, one feels clear, so forth. Yeah. Mine is nice and bright and clear, and so forth. And then sleep comes, it all goes muddy and foggy again. Mm. One should recognize that conditions are impermanent. Um, so then, you know, you're more inclining towards the awareness of changeability of agreeable conditions and learning to coexist and mm, contemplate heaviness, torpidness. Uh, as part of a phase, if you, you, know, you know, we, we go sleepy, we wake up. And if your meditation is associated with holding things still and being steady, then that's not a great approach. Sometimes it's a good approach, but generally meditation practice involves quite a, a lot of um, engagement and active responsiveness so we don't just go okay sit down focus steady boom that's it generally it means how you're feeling body sort you know work that out take a breath look at that thought you can actually keep like a working with conditions as they arise you know including things like dullness so okay this is dullness Okay, dullness is then this is a this is part of the wrestling match, you know, and you're trying to get fit. Uh, you're not going to get fit if you don't have any challenges. So, dullness is a real challenge. So, can okay, you work with it? So, walk up and down, mm. get into the body, move the body around, mm. chanting, open the eyes, so on. Mm. 
So it's engaged working with conditions. Don't get too attached to meditation. You know, in terms of overall cultivation, which is bhavana, which is the word the Buddha used, the, the bit we call meditation is really only a, one part of it. You know, the bit where we can actually get focused, and that's what you mean by meditating. It's that focused on an object. That's only part of it. A lot of cultivations about cultivating patience, uh, resilience, uh, being able to be present with uncomfortable conditions, all that's cultivation. Mm-hmm. You know, when we realize that's what our task is, that's what our process is, and then, okay, it's this one, right? So you realize you're here for the big picture of the, all the conditions that can arise, and every one of them will teach you something. Most of them are extremely humbling. <laughs> because you're moving out of the self-centre okay but then oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, compassion is always a good um, reminder so let's take some time for direct practice